From Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writer saving music journalism from death by clickbait. Okay, I'm uh, Mickey Hellerback, and I'm here with Brandon Hill and Ryan Gar. We are excited to present three articles today, initially from DJ Booth, an article about rappers embracing their own flaws, um, then from Vulture Magazine is an interview with Tory Lanes, and then Brandon will finish with a review of the new Run the Jewels project from Rolling Stone. Uh, again, I'm Mickey Hellerback, and uh, I'm a writer for Central Sauce as well as Euphoria magazine um i'm the newest member of the podcast uh recently i just put out uh my own review of the new um spillage village single that i'm really proud of end of days which i really think is the song of the moment guys do you want to introduce yourselves yeah so brandon hill uh pretty regular voice on the podcast along with ryan so probably pretty familiar writer and editor at central sauce um, check out my feature story I wrote recently on mastering the art of tension and relief through Pink Floyd, Flying Lotus, and Childish Gambino. Uh, I too would like to shout out that Spillage Village single, and it has got me unbelievably hyped for the new project that's coming out. Like, unbelievably. Just so, so ready for that me project. Too. Me too. Go for it, Ryan. Yep. Uh, yeah, my name's Ryan Gore, and yeah, I'm a writer at Central Source. I don't have any recent pieces to plug yet, yet, but like we're in the final stages of um, pub, like editing this um, piece on Milo's "Who Told You to Think," which I've been agonizing over for like a year now, and I'm just so happy to have a a decent draft of that, that might be close to getting out sometime soon. And uh, it's yeah. really good, yes. incredible, incredible piece. <laughs> you guys you. are gonna love it. Me that. and Brandon have both helped edit that one a little bit, and it's it's really really great. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, um, I love Spinach Village, but I keep forgetting to listen to that song, you know? <laughs> Yeah, man. It's so, oh, yeah, good. it's so good. I know. I, I expect that. I expect that. So I liked, like, Revenge of the Dreamers 3 is a bomb album. It was, like, one of my favorite albums of the year. Uh, the Deluxe Edition is even one of my favorite albums of this year. But I still like Spillage Village significantly Absolutely. more than what I like, like, the Dreamville Collective and, like, all the artists they worked with. Like, there is a very specific sound and flavor to spillage village that i don't think you get with you know even an earth gang jid collaboration um is still just not the same as the spillage village flavor yeah Um, if you listen to like bears like this too it's so much more free than what they get to do on like even the range of dreamers or whatever it just feels like them just chilling out making music but yeah in terms of what, what i've been listening to um, I've been like rediscovering albums that like came up earlier in the year where I was too stressed out to really appreciate them. <laughs> so like <laughs> the last Navy Blue album that came out, I can't believe it came out this year because so much has happened, but it's called Ada Iran and it's amazing. I like rediscovering my love <laughs> for that album. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I saw I saw a tweet earlier that was about someone was like listing their top five albums of the year and Circles was on there, uh the Mac Miller album. Shit. And I was I like, Holy shit, like now. Circles came out. <laughs> In 2020, <laughs> like that's insane. Like that that feels like a, like a year ago. That's crazy. Yeah. But no, that's a that's a 2020. Yeah, yeah. 
and it's not to say that like it, it came and went and nothing like that it's incredible oh yeah i still go back to it for sure it's yeah. just too much yeah yeah let's let this uh we usually do have done this at the end the last couple of times but let's let's just stay on the the music that we're listening to um i wanted to to just add uh quickly just to end the the spillage village combo uh because i wrote a review of the single i think this single specifically shows what is so strong about their collective which is just that it uh obviously with end of days you can kind of sense that it had the the theme of the song has to do with this kind of apocalyptic feel that the world has right now. Um, but what they, they all get their own, uh, every member of the crew except for black, who's not on that song specifically, but they all get their own individual verse and get to each show their individual perspective of kind of their coping mechanisms with, uh, within the times that are now. And it really, uh, kind of like you were saying, Brandon, it really shows kind of the strength of the group as a whole and because of their individual perspectives. Um, uh, the other artist that I wanted to mention that I've been listening to, uh, I discovered, as I do a lot now, uh, on Insecure. Uh, my last interview I did for Central Sauce was with Zaya, artist from Atlanta, who I also discovered his music through Insecure. But this... Um, this artist, Tannerell, uh, has of my favorite songs uh, this year, for sure. Um, and it's called uh, Nothing Without You. But she's been releasing music since 2017. And there's just a solid, it's mostly singles in one EP, but there's just like 10 solid singles um, that she's released that are all really unbelievable. And she has such a unique sound. So I wanted to shout her out for sure. Um, who do we? Who hasn't gone yet? Brandon, have you said who you like to listen to? Um, so, I mean, obviously the Spillage Village single, like I mentioned, obviously the Run the Jewels album, uh, hence the review that I'm bringing on the album that I think did an incredible job. Um, Freddie Gibbs, I can't remember if that was out the last time we had the podcast, but the Alfredo album, no, I, w I don't think it was out yet because I didn't mention how I th absolutely was positive that that was a joke on Twitter that Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist were releasing an album called Alfredo. And even like the cover art originally like looked so corny. And I had, I think I tweeted at like Ryan or something yeah. that, because uh, this was around the same time that that fake ass like Kanye album Kanye cover was coming out. And everybody was like, oh, new, new Kanye album coming. So I thought it was like a trend of just like making up goofy albums and like trying to get them to go around on Twitter and see who like actually falls for them coming out. So I was, I was absolutely certain that this album did not exist until I checked my Spotify and like saw the, the first single release. Like, that was, oh, you fucking idiots. <laughs> You're, fa You're oh, falling see, I for try, it. You know, I try, I try not to, I try not to take shots, but I certainly was not out there like, Oh, I can't wait for this album. Yeah, I, can't I wish wait I could go album. back through your Twitter history and find you talking shit to people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it did oh, not yeah. disappoint though it i mean it is absolutely as good as yeah. a freddie gibbs alchemist project should be oh the new uh speaking oh, of freddie gibbs and alchemist, that, yeah. the new currency tape actually yeah. i just remembered i need i need yeah, to listen to it yeah, yeah just came out oh key key dropped a project that was kind of cool i've also been yeah, there's a there's like that I that one that, I feel I like there's a couple well. really solid joints. There's a Kenny Beats produced one that's like maybe the best song in the whole thing. And there's also Sugar and Rice on that that's good. I've also been listening. It's just kind of funny. I think I'm just missing Brooklyn because I've been in Baltimore since the beginning of the pandemic. But there's a 
the Sleepy Hollow album. I don't know if you guys kind of really dive into Brooklyn Drill that much, but it kind of has surprised me. There's like some really good songs on there. There's this one song called Anxiety Freestyle that's like um, all the guy. So Ryan, this is actually kind of a good transition, I think, is into your piece, Ryan, because uh, one of the, the the rappers on there that's talked about is Chef G, and the same producer produces almost every song in that Chef G album produced. Uh, almost every song on the um, the Sleepy Hollow okay. album, which is I think uh, yeah, I think I think that's on that album, and he is kind of blowing up in the underground of like the Brooklyn drill, and he's really he, he really kind of dropped a wild project that kind of a lot of songs sit in your head. Um, but yeah, Ryan, if you want to go ahead and uh, introduce your piece. Yes. Okay. I don't want to ruin your segue, but shout out to the Almond Hammer album. Big Hits and Lucid. Incredible. Okay. Now let's go. <laughs> so, uh, my piece is from DJ Booth. Surprisingly. Not surprising. Uh, it's called Three Rappers Learning to Accept Their Flaws by Dylan Green. And yeah, so the piece, the title of the piece kind of lays it out for you straight away. This is a piece about three rappers, Future, Chef G, and one of my favorite artists in the world right now. Someone who's who was the last concert I got to see before the pandemic, um, Midani. So I love this piece because I love it when like a writer brings these different perspectives that kind of comment on the same thing to one place and kind of compares the styles in which they express that thing. Um, my first article that I wrote is a similar thing, like talking about how Earl Sweatshirt and Quelle Chris talk about the same ideas in two of their albums, and this kind of shares some of that DNA except the artists are very much from different places within hip-hop. Um, like, Madani's music is a lot quieter compared to that of Future's, which is a bit more quiet to compared to Chef G's. But the way they deal with this, with their flaws and their... Basically, their hurt and their pain is very similar. So, um, one thing that, like... It's the thing that grabbed me immediately when I read the piece was just the first line. Because something I agonize over when I'm writing is like introducing the piece well to the point where like people understand what they're getting, but also grabs their attention. And the first line is, it takes courage to look at yourself critically. And like that word courage is vital to this piece. It kind of draws the line between talking about yourself on an album which people are kind of expected to do when you start writing music, like you kind of draw from personal experience, but to uh, being self-critical, like there's a big jump there and it kind of established that right away that these guys are really putting themselves out there in their music rather than um, like future, like one of the quotes he pulls from future is like, I don't want to ghostwrite my... Ah, um, uh, yeah. I don't something, know. I forgot what it was. Like I don't want <laughs> Do you guys remember what it was? But I'll, it was grab, it. I'll like, grab it. I got it right here. Hold on. on I don't man. need a ghost to write my promises. I don't need a said. ghost to write my promises. Like, it's not It's not um, thin layers of, like, introspection. It's full on accepting your, like, going through your trauma, really, going through your pain, and um, coming through the other side, having learned from that. And I think that's such a beautiful sentiment to draw to write an article about like a lot of people will kind of criticize journalists for thinking too deeply about music but this is the kind of piece that you that needed to be written and i think dylan recognizes that with the way he writes in here 
and um, he brings out these quotes just like that future one which you don't need to explain it too much it kind of speaks for itself in a way and it makes the piece very efficient while still giving you enough to chew on like just the first line got me thinking a whole lot and when you when you can be that efficient with your writing it's like that's all you can really hope for from from an article you read yeah I'm so, and it's lyrical analysis at the very center of it and i live for that shit like i love sitting down with poetry and just kind of analyzing what it all means and the significance of it and kind of relating that to yourself so yeah uh, i love this piece it's like right up my alley especially with um a shout out from Madani in the same piece that you started out shout out future someone who's such a legend really been doing it for ages and someone like Madani who's just come out and has become one of my favorite artists in the world um did a mentions own pace which is an album that he doesn't talk about here. He talk about he talks about uh, Madani's latest album called Cold Water, and he shows great restraint to only talk about Cold Water because if you go back through Madani's discography, it's a bunch of music about this very topic. Like the intro to Own Pace is called Trauma and Grace, and like that's that could have been the title of this piece really. But yeah, I'll leave it off to you guys. Uh, Mickey, what did you think? Yeah, um, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, piggybacking on what you were talking about, the kind of comparison of the two two types of artists that Madani, which I'm glad you started with the pronunciation of his name because that's not how I thought you said his <laughs> name, uh, from, from uh, Future to Madani and kind of the, the different types of flaws that they had. I think that was the kind of uh, the key to the whole article, and I think it really helped shape it was the progression of the, the type laws or what would be, I don't know, acceptable by society more as a whole of types of flaws as, as the kind of um, what is acceptable now. Uh, future would be in the sense of like more problematic flaws to kind of start out with. And then Madani <laughs> ends up being what you would view as more um, – not totally, but more by society is what would be deemed acceptable because it's kind of a a medical, uh, medically identified flaw is like, you know, being his mental illness and just kind of dealing with that specifically. But it, what it kind of did and kind of when he brought it all together was show you that regardless of uh, the types of things that you would personally view or society would view as flaws all come from some level of trauma which is universal um trauma is exactly the same that they are having but it is different but that each level of the thing that we all um identify as our own flaws and they do specifically has to come from a place of hurt um and showing showing that it's like you know the the powerful thing is the acceptance of the trauma as well as the flaws and understanding the kind of our own humanity. Um, I thought that was really important. Yeah. And yeah, I don't want to cut, off, cut you off, but um, one that's kind of uh, triggered a thought mm-hmm. about like the pronouns that mm-hmm. uh, Dylan uses in the article. Uh, the great thing he does is he says we a lot, like talks about us as people in general, rather than saying like 
Madani feels this, Future feels this, Chef G feels this. You kind of bring out their quotes that are very personal and then related to us as people, which um, is the most important part of this article. This isn't about... Um, it's about collective trauma, isn't it, as a society? So, yeah, carry on. And that's, I mean, that's a trait, like, that's one of my favorite traits of a great writer is their ability to, you know, not only present information in a very clear and a very well-communed way, but to somehow connect the reader, the author, and the cases that they're presenting um, in a similar line. Because then, you know, you make it easier for the reader to take your story as not just, you know, another piece of information to file away, but Mm. as a genuine connection that they can then, you know, feel emotionally in their life and then they can feel emotionally through the life of the author and in this case the artist that the author is writing about yeah um i think uh it's interesting the 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 pull from future's latest album because i um i remember hearing him in an interview say that kind of his acceptance of his flaws were really what kind of catapulted what I mean, you could view as the second half of his career. Like he had got right before he did that kind of three mixtape run with uh, uh, Beast Mode, Monster, and Fifty Six Nights that led him into Dirty Sprite Two. He right before that had done a very pop central album with like Miley Cyrus features and things like that, and it kind of lost him his initial fan base. And I remember hearing him talk about how like he really wanted to specifically go into the more kind of no fucks given what people would view as problematic side of himself and kind of reaffirm his own individuality through his next steps. And that really is what has catapulted him into um, where he is now. But I think the, the one poll lyric that I thought was really interesting and made it clear to me why the writer thought that this specific album was different was um, where he talked about the, the kind of vent to his girlfriend um, it just that who is Lori Harvey. Uh, it just it proved the um, the element that's different about this album is kind of a future futures kind of growth as a human and actually like you know committing into some version of like what would be an adult relationship and then it puts him in a little bit more of a vulnerable place than we're accustomed to. Yeah, I think um, you know even the use of future specifically in a piece like this, like you wouldn't normally think of going to Future's music for, you know, deep reflections on your flaws and uh, stuff like that. But I think it reminds me a lot of a piece that I've read on um, Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath's album Master of Reality. So Master of Reality, you know, around the time that that album came out, uh, there was a big, a lot of the worry of like moms and thinking death metal was like super satanic music that was going to be you know, a bad influence on their children and stuff like that. So it was very, you know, like their mothers were opposed to letting their children listen to it, which then in turn made um, kids who had, you know, a rebellious streak or kids who are struggling or had a bad home life, you know, naturally they're going to gravitate towards the type of thing that people want to push them away from. Um, So Ozzy Osbourne was one of the reasons he's such a genius. And with Master Reality specifically is he that he knows that those are the kind of people who are going to gravitate towards that listening. So they played up some of the satanic satanic imagery to give the album like that sort of appeal to those kinds of people and those kinds of kids. 
but then the actual content of the album and when you sit with it and when you listen to it intently like the kid is going to do who just purchases the album and puts on their headphones you know it's not how the mom is going to listen to the album the mom is going to catch glimpses of the satanic imagery and they're going to catch you know lyrics and phrases and the overall sound of it that is the death metal sound that they're afraid of but the person who actually sits with the album and listens to it is going to get a positive message out of it they're going to get a great like lesson in how you know how they can grow beyond the phase that they're in and how they can be stronger than what their parents have sort of categorized them with this death metal sound so in a way like Ozzy Osbourne intentionally structured Master of Reality to reach the people who were going to need it the most and I think you can think in a similar way with Future and this new album um, and specifically in the way that this uh, author has talked about it in the piece. Like, you know, like I said earlier, I don't think of going to Future's music for deep internal reflection. You know, I think of going to Future's mu music when, you know, like I, I want to get lit or like it's a party or, you know, like you're hanging out and shit like that. But, you know, if that is like your lifestyle and that's the music you go to, but you sit there and listen to it and you sit with the music... Like, you can actually get a whole nother message out of it. And that message could be reaching the audience that needs to hear it the most through an artist like Future being, the like, the front of that message. Yeah, I don't much add, much add that. But uh, I like one thing that this piece says in, ref like, referring to Chef G, actually, talking about how this self-reflection is kind of in the midst of what is braggadocio. And I like how those lines could be blended. I like how Dylan put those close together. Because you could interpret it like as as the same thing, really, like bragging about how you're able to cope <laughs> in a way, you know. I like, and the same could be said to future, because like as um, Brandon says, you don't really go to future like in general. People don't go to future for the self reflection. It's kind of a um, like an accent to his uh, braggadocio and the. Yeah, whatever else, you know, uh, but it's the centerpiece of Madonna's music. Yeah, I think the, the, so the I think that's an interesting show line. And then he kind of goes into what's behind it, too, which is some version of uh, why he's able to brag about it is because yeah. Chef G's the, the kind of core of his personality is accepting fully all of the mistakes that he's made and using them to empower himself. Uh, which I think is, is what's behind the bragging and um, really makes all of those types of lyrics jump out for the sake of this Alright, um, I guess I'll go into my, my piece now, um, which will interview for Vulture. Uh, of Tory Lanes by Craig Jenkins, who's a uh, a journalist I have a lot of respect for. Um, he also recently did an interview of LP from Run the Jewels, which we'll talk about later. Uh, as well as he did, um, I think my favorite kind of in memoriam piece for Mac Miller, who he was really close to. Um, but he's he's that's, been that's how I got into Craig Jenkins was. Oh, was reading a lot of his Mac Miller stuff because he had such a personal relationship with Mac Miller. Right. Yeah. If you haven't checked that out, that's definitely a great read, especially if you're a Mac fan. Um, like I was and still am. We were just talking about circles. Um, 
but yeah, so this is obviously in a very different style than that piece. Um, the title of this piece is uh, Tory Lanes is the new king of raunch. And if you've been paying attention at all to what he's been doing during the pandemic, he started something called Quarantine Radio, which had a lot of uh, variations of wild different things he was asking his guests to do, kind of aligned with uh, semi I don't know if you can even call them interviews, but really conversations with other of his celebrity music friends from everyone from like Drake to Megan the Stallion. Um, but I think uh, what Craig really, he really shines firstly in the, the intro. I think it's just so concise and just such a direct lead right into the interview, which is, um, I think that's a trap that a lot of journalists can fall into is either making the, the intro too long or not using it in a concise way to truly set up what's about to happen uh, with the conversation that comes after. Um, but my favorite part of the intro was, um, which it just kind of triggered a lot of thoughts, was comparing Tori's um, for kind of being a radio personality to, to that of Howard Stern. Um, and then it made me uh, really think about who in our society um, within the context of radio or television is even truly allowed uh, to have that type of personality and express that side of themselves. And I don't think I can think of anyone truly in radio that is not a white guy up until maybe now Tory Lanez, who has been uh, able to uh, express that that kind of raunchy and not PC side of themselves and be accepted. And I mean, Tory Lanez is doing it entirely on his own rather than as a part of a network. But the only people I really think of are like Howard Stern, Jerry, Jerry Springer, and Maury. But um, I, I think it kind of intro, since it gave me that thought, I was like, wow, this really is even cooler that he's been able to start this than I even realized. Um, then the then I want to talk about just kind of the, the thing that really stuck out to me about the interview itself and this transcription, because it's all it's obviously edited down to kind of create a narrative. Um, you just feel Craig's energy in the piece a lot you can tell how hyped he is to ask Tori about all of the funny shit that's happening on quarantine radio by how he's sequencing the questions and the pace of it as you read it um and because of that it always while you never become unaware that an interview is happening it totally just feels like old homies kind of talking shit about what's going on in their lives um and it just makes it so, first of all it was we were talking about before we started recording like a really funny interview um and of the funnier that i've read in recent history i just think that the context of interviews very rarely ends up being so funny especially in a transcripted interview rather than a video one um and i think he really just kept the tone that he was going for specifically with the title of the article and i thought that was really admirable the other thing that was just so crazy is how the again i kind of mentioned this but how the piece moved um I think he just he just mentioned so many things in a concise period of time and the transitions into different topics were so quick. But because he kept it so conversational, it never felt like I, I was getting lost in reading it. 
but he covered everything from his radio show to all of the stuff that's involving his label details where he just released the new project, New Toronto 3, to get out of a label deal to become independent, his general functionality in COVID, his charity that he co-started with his father, parenthood and dealing with being a parent during COVID, writing the TV show that he's writing, sample clearance, and even at the end, he concludes with this whole thing about porn stars who have similar, similar names to him. Um, I just thought it was really wild how he was able to navigate the transcription of that so succinctly without ever making it feel bipolar. Like it really just felt like kind of like two dudes sitting on a front porch, like talking shit about like, yo, how did you do that? How'd you get these girls <laughs> to pour milk all over each other and like twerk? Like, I wanted, like that's, that's just crazy. How did that come about? And it was just like, yeah, it just like felt like if I had a really wild homie who started this like insane radio show and i was just like bro how the fuck did you come up with that <laughs> and uh i don't know it was just a really enjoyable read um yeah what did you guys think yeah tori comes across like as magnetic in a, in like written words as he does like on the radio show yeah like just um that's crazy the way it? that he's so conversational with craig like he it's just it's just him like you could read it and not knowing who it was. And if you'd seen Quarantine Radio, you could probably, like, draw the dots, like, to, way he spe- to the way he speaks uh, in the written words. That wasn't good English. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, the main thing that, like, kind of ties... Not the main thing, but one thing that ties the three pieces today together is, like, efficiency. And like Mickey said, this move, this piece moves at this breakneck pace you're kind of like darting between these two things and that's kind of what it's like watching the quarantine radio show like if you go through the piece um he has these youtube embeds of uh, clips from the show and it's the same energy the whole way it's kind of frantic but in the best way possible like the way it is when all your friends are hanging out talking over each other in a room like mickey said it's like just talking to your homies really um but yeah, um, the uh, what really got me was the way the piece evolved past what the title says. Like the title is him being the king of raunch, which is very much talking about just the um, radio show, and then you kind of get this three sixty view of Tory from him starting the show and just being a bit of a whack job, just doing whatever the hell on IG to him pitching it as a show on like TV and kind of the way he would rework that to him being a screenwriter, which I had no idea about to him signing a charity, which I had no idea about. And yeah, you kind of get this view of him that you would only get from someone who has kind of rapport with him. Someone who was less familiar with him, like as a person might not have gone into those kind of lanes. Like, the TV thing might have been just brushed over. No, no pun, no pun intended. I didn't realize what I said. What was <laughs> lanes. Oh, Those God. kinds of lanes. <laughs> Those kind of lanes. Definitely no pun intended. I had no idea I did that. I'm a genius. This is why I'm a writer. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I just love the pace of this piece. You don't get many fast paced pieces like this that really feel... Like, like, that might be said like a, a video interview or like a Safety Brothers movie. It's great. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, dude, I just rewatched Uncut Gems. That's such a yeah, good comparison. Sure. It really did feel like the interview version of like the pace of the Safdie Brothers movie, which is so unique. I'm actually planning on watching Uncut Gems tonight. I still haven't seen it. That puts a, a oh, strange man. coincidence. Good. Good. Sheesh. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I think like the way, you know, you guys mentioned how the interview begins with, which uh, actually, first of all, from reading this piece, I, uh, I wasn't aware that this was an interview going into it. Yeah, uh, Tory Lanez is the new king of raunch. And then like the way that he introduces the interview mm-hmm. is in such a good, you know, it, uh, such a good story format mm-hmm. that I could have read that for the duration of the entire piece. <laughs> like even with, you know, even without yeah, the interview, too. um, but then the interview itself, like the way he flows from girls pouring strawberry milk on their ass into Tory Lane's charity organizations, like seamlessly without it without it feeling you know clunky yeah. and like okay I have to get I have to get to the next question on my list like it it was a part of the conversation like you guys mentioned it sounds like just shooting the shit with your friends. Um. And I think, you know, some of the notes about Tory Lane's personality, because I think that's I think that's a big part of, you know, the title of the article is Tory Lane's is the new king of raunch. It's not like Tory Lane's did this crazy shit on Instagram. Check it out. It's it's that he is the new king of raunch. And, you know, to be a king, like to be classified as a king, you have to be the one that is on top, the one that is like above everyone else, like above all the others. And. Tory Lanez isn't able to do that just because he has a crazy Instagram show. He's able to do that because of his personality. And I think Craig, like, worked lots of bits into that, into this piece. Um, Like, where Tory Lanez references how even, like, when he's making music and he's in the booth, that he will, you know, begin and end recording sessions with a radio personality voice where he's like, and it's Tory Lanez with a new hit sing. Like, you know, he does that kind (laughs) of shit. Like so, it even connects to his his personality as a radio host connects to his music, yeah. and so it's just in all like through all the shit that he does. And I didn't know how badly that I wanted to watch a TV show written by Tory Lanez <laughs> until reading this interview. Yeah. But now, like, I, that's I something that I absolutely yeah. need. I I want to go back to what you said about the the kind of like intro thing, and because uh, Craig talks, that was one of my favorite sections of the whole interview. Where he talks about. Um, how his inspiration for that kind of style and it was so funny to me that he said it was the uh the announcer dudes on nba video games and because all that is is actual nba announcers mostly who who have these really funny poll quotes um like the funniest one to me always forever will be um marv albert in nba live uh well when like Shaq or someone dunks on someone he says he served him up a facial and like it's just like such a funny just such a funny like kind of inventive inspiration for doing journalism it's like he's not even thinking about it but he's kind of doing these really kind of uh totally new things um just because of who he is uh to contribute to the the field I don't know yeah, and he mentions like the nostalgia in that, you know, mm-hmm. referring to the that kind of stuff. And he says how he wanted to bring that, like how so how he felt about those NBA Jam things in the past, like the laughter that he would get um, from those offshoots that he wanted to bring that into his show. And you can like 
especially with the video embeds right there, I actually almost ended up like running out of time to read all these pieces again right before the podcast because I was just rewatching so many of these hilarious clips from his YouTube video. And you can see right there exactly what he's talking about with those uh, like NBA Jam one offs. Like, uh, what does he say? Like when he's on there and, you know, people are jumping in and out of the call and if they're being boring or something, he's like, we ain't got time for that. We ain't got time for that. And it's like, like cutting them out and hitting the buzzer. And people love that shit. Like they're going, they're going crazy over it. It's, it's hilarious. So good. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's really awesome. Uh, Oh, I, the, the last thing I think I wanted to mention, um, just because it, it just feels like a consistent thing that we always talk about on the podcast um, which is just how much of a joy it is to see things develop in real time. Um, previously, we talked about the cave, and I'm, I'm blanking on what the other thing was. I think it was something that we talked about last week that was also developing in real time. But it's it just become a consistent thing that the things that end up standing out uh, in our field or in art kind of in general or hip-hop in general end up being things that are just kind of ideas that people allow to develop before our eyes rather than going through this whole development period and how exciting it has become with the access to the internet to see people kind of just figure shit out on their own and there's just something that's so enticing about watching that and and just entertaining about watching them kind of figure it out it's authentic isn't it oh yeah absolutely I, and i think it would be you know disingenuous to the topic to not include the context of the pandemic and the fact that like, while all this is going on with Tory Lanes, um, we have a new, like a whole new thing in the culture that everyone is on because everyone is experiencing it at the same time. And how are like these artists not only, you know, dealt, Oh, there's a great quote right at the beginning of the article. Hold up. Let me find it where he says, um, not only how, it's the very first question. Yeah, there are lots of artists watching how this moment unfolds before they make moves in it, but you didn't miss a beat. Quarantine Radio became one of the biggest Instagram entertainment shows of the pandemic almost out of the gate. So the fact that, like, you know, all these artists are trying to jump on ways of how, like, how can I still get my promo? How can I still get my music out there, you know, during this pandemic? I'm not bringing in the tour money. You know, how can I sell more merch and stuff like that? And the fact that they're, they're taking the time to calculate these moves. Meanwhile, Tory Lanez has 400,000 people on his Instagram story, yeah. like just doing crazy shit. That, that is the mindset of an innovator. Like that is the mindset of a star. You know, it's not someone who's sitting back and calculating their moves because they need to find out like what the most financially viable option is. That's someone who is making the moves right away that they feel. And you even get that same vibe as it goes further. And he talks about um, putting out the albums that he's put out. And he mentions like, okay, so because he put out like two albums pretty much back to back. Um, and then he mentions like, so now that you've got these albums out and you like you've worked away out of your label contract. Uh, you said there were some songs that didn't make the cut. Like what's next up? And Tory Lanez yeah. is like, next up is another yeah. record. <laughs> like right away. Like this man is not, he's not missing beats and he's not pausing yeah. to think about the best move. Like, he is really just thriving in his personality and letting that shine through every piece of everything he does. Yeah, and that was crazy to me that he still said, oh, it's another album next. Because you could easily just yeah. say, oh, this is my career now. Like, I use music as a jumping off point to get to this point where I could be a celebrity, have this um, kind of star power, and just use my name, my face, my personality just to do mm. TV stuff for a while, radio right. stuff for a while. But no, it's like, I care about music, I care about that craft, which is commendable. Oh, totally. Like, 
Yeah, I'm not the biggest. I'm not as big as fan to be honest with you. But like, I can absolutely respect well, that. Yeah. <laughs> potentially, That's if awesome. he just does enough shit, he'll be someone will be a fan of him for. <laughs> everyone will be a fan of him for a different reason. Yeah. and he's he, he doesn't feel like yeah, it, sure. it matters to him because he has so much to offer. Yeah, and I'll give you the opportunity to plug uh, a piece you have coming out, Mickey. But um, the fact that he's an artist, right? Trans, uh, like. Um, yeah, <laughs> going into this sure. kind of radio thing, bringing artists yeah. on to talk about their albums. Yeah, I mean, I won't talk about it too much just because I hopefully you will read it once it comes out. You right, right, but um, I I just noticed the trend um of rappers transitioning, specifically rappers transitioning into media careers. Um, and obviously with Tory Lanez and Lil Wayne specifically, it's happened during the pandemic, but it started way before that with people like Joe Budden. Um. But it just, I just a really fascinating kind of transition, and I uh, just kind of examined in the article the reason I think it's happening and what they have to offer, and maybe people who are journalists who are not artists have to learn from it. Um, but I, I want to go back to what you said, uh, Ryan, specifically about how how Tory Lanez is a multifaceted. Um, personality within music because i think that transitions well into brandon's article uh specifically because that can also be said for killer mike uh one half of run the jewels so if you want to go into it brandon go for it yeah so the article i'm bringing is Run the Jewels, Bring the Noise, Right on Time with RTJ4 by John Dolan. Um, it is the Rolling Stone review of RTJ4. They gave it four out of five stars. Um, so, you know, just a little context to this article and to this album. Um, the album, you know, was all recorded before uh, the death of George Floyd and the police brutality protests and the Black Lives Matter movement got this major, like, jumping off point this major like boost in the last couple of weeks so and i think you know everyone knew that the album was coming out uh it, it they didn't plan the release of it to coincide with his events like it had a release date that was set before all this stuff happened and then they you know they rushed out the release of it um which i didn't even know about the day that the album was released i just saw a tweet from Ben Carter on hip hop numbers about the album asking if people had listened to it yet. And I was psyched to see that it had like just came out. Uh, so, cause run the jewels has always done very, very like, you know, very pro pro black uh, music, very anti-establishment style of music. And they have always done it in a way where it's less like we need to raise awareness about the establishment and more in a way of like, no, we need to break down the establishment and this is how we're going to do it. And this is how it's going to be done. So I think like having that anticipation of knowing their music and just knowing while all this is going on, that there is a run the jewel album coming out in two weeks um, was just a lot of anticipation to add to this album. And then on top of that, killer Mike gave that, amazing speech in Atlanta, uh, which if you have not listened to it, listeners, like you guys should, you know, go on YouTube and find that speech. Cause that like, I mean, killer Mike is a great example of someone who embodies a lot of what they do and what they say in their music are, you know, they are, they're one in the same. Um, it's not, you know, fanfare for the album sales because they give the albums out for free. They don't even sell them. 
uh, which is a, a huge part of Run the Jewels philosophy. Like they are the example of practice what you preach. So, you know, listening to the album was just a really powerful experience amid all of this turmoil and all this stuff that was going on. Um, and I want to read one specific section of lyrics from the song Walking in the Snow that just kind of left me like breathless, like jaw drop, considering the fact that like this was recorded um, and finished before all like the, the current events had led into the album. So it's on Walking in the Snow. It starts with, and every day on the evening news, they feed you fear for free. And you so numb, you watch the cops choke out a man like me until my voice goes from a shriek to a whisper, I can't breathe. And you sit there in the house on a couch and watch it on TV. The most you give is a Twitter rant and call it a tragedy. You know, last week or two weeks ago on the pod, we read uh, off a list of names of African-Americans who were killed by police brutality. And the list began and ended with Eric Garner and George Floyd, whose last words to police were both, I can't breathe. And so the fact that, you know, Run the Jewels wrote this verse and they wrote this album with this exact kind of stuff in mind, but before these current events had happened is... It, you know, it's tragic and it's sad that such a prediction in their music that's written before these current events can be so accurate and so on point. Like, that I, and on that topic, like, I can't wait to see, you know, what kind of music comes out of these artists, um, like Run the Jewels, J. Cole, and Kendrick Lamar after the fact now. So, like, in the wake of all this stuff that happens, I can't wait to, like, to listen to what some of these artists have to say let alone the fact that Run the Jewels is able to be so incredibly concise and so incredibly powerful on the topic before it even happened is in incredible to me. But so in the context of this interview, because I guess I should you know introduce the interview and not just give my Run the Jewels spiel, um, I myself had been kind of preparing to write something about this album when it came out um, because, like I said, because of the anticipation of the moment that this album would bring. And so, you know, I was thinking about uh, just toying around with ways, just some kind of way to write about the album in a way that talks about the music, but also has the same energy and the same importance that LP and Killer Mike bring to the music. Um, and when I read I, when I read this Rolling Stone review, I it said everything about the album better than I possibly could have wrote it and in a fraction of the words. Um, you could pull almost any sentence from this piece and ha it make it a standalone statement, which I think is, is attributed to rolling or, uh, to run the jewels music theirself. Like every verse, like every line, like you can pull from it and it's, it's, it's a battle cry. It's a statement on its own. And the writer of this review very much reflected that same energy throughout this piece. And in a very which is a style typical of Rolling Stone. Uh, that's part of the reason I love Rolling Stone so much. In a very much no bullshit attitude. A very much like we're not going to, you know, dance around the block on this one. We're like we, with respect to, uh, to run the jewels, we are going to take the shots with them. And the author, uh, Dolan, is also, he's very good at pulling out not entire verses. And this is actually a good, um, I wanted to give credit to the author of the first DJ booth piece that we talked about too, because I think he also did this very well. Um, but pulling out not entire verses or entire bars, 
but just pulling out short pieces of a verse, um, sometimes even, you know, two to three words and going deeply about those two to three words. Like some, like sometimes it can be easy to take a whole verse when an artist has laid it out in front of you, what they're saying, but which it's pretty like self-explanatory a lot of times in a verse, exactly what they're talking about. But then to go a step beyond that and pull a few words or a phrase out of a voice and then provide it context and, you know, amplify its power, um, I think is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I think it's incredibly space efficient as well for a review that's not overly long. So uh, what, I mean, what did you guys think about the album itself and also about this incredible review? Yeah, this review energized me. Like it did its job yeah. of like, you know, when you read a really great review and you love the album, you like, you kind of have this moment where it feels like your mind is connected to the reader and you're both just geeking about, out about this album. And if you're reading a great review of an album that you didn't care for, it kind of makes you feel like you're missing something. Like it makes you want to go back to it and dig in, realize like what, what kind of things you kind of missed on your listen to it. And unfortunately i was in the latter of this one so like i love run the jewels like i'm looking at my run the jewels poses on my wall right now in front of me and those first two albums felt so raw and honest like it just appealed to me so much especially like the second one came on came out around 2014 right around ferguson and that kind of matched my anger around that time and i was very angry a few weeks ago too when even now I'm still so angry about what's going on and I was really looking forward to it on the Jules album because it felt like an outlet a potential outlet and I listened to it and it felt so much more clean than the last few albums and I was kind of a bit taken aback by that like when I hear the prospect of having Zach De La Rocha on LP production I'm thinking okay I'm going to rage but on this album, it wasn't. It was a bit more understated, and other than that, I kind of felt, oh, it's more Mike and LP doing what Mike and LP do, and I kind of felt a bit cold on the album. But listening to this, what I mistook for cleanness was it being cinematic, and that's what this review kind of uh, communicated for me is how. Uh, yeah, it still has that same apocalyptic kill your masters kind of feel but in a more cinematic landscape which is something that didn't click for me when I first listened to the album and something that I went back to it earlier and was like oh now it makes sense like the the review what John did really well was like re like contextualize this review for where Run the Jewels are at and even though what they're doing now is you know Essentially what they did with the first run, the jewels, they are in different places and they, he prefaces the actual review by saying where these people have come, these two guys have come, through their friendship and through them working together. And I kind of um, felt like I got the bare bones of what run, the jewels are without the rawness. But then I realised that that rawness has just uh, kind of evolved over the how long has it been? Twenty thirteen, seven years since the first Run the Jewels album. Um, so yeah, I really needed to read this review 
because it really yeah, enjoyed me to go back to this album and I'm going to properly yeah. sit with it because I think I was like doing some mm-hmm. other shit when I listened to it the first time. <laughs> Energizing is a very, very good word, a very strong word to describe this review, and I agree. Um, when I When I read the review, even before I was considering bringing this to the podcast, um, I read it like just late at night when I was just going through some reading stuff and fired it directly just into our submit hub chat, like right away when I read it without even, you know, I wasn't even considering bringing it to the podcast at that time. But um, so all three of us work on music submissions that artists send to us. Um, and then we write about why we like the music that we select to cover and why we like it series. So when I, you know, first read this article, the reason I sent it into our submit hub chat is because I was like, how does this writer do this thing so well? Like, how is he so able to describe how he likes this music in a way that energized me not only for, like, hell yes, like, run the jewels, like, kill it, like, go get it, but also in a way that energized me as a writer that I was like, okay, so this, this is what I'm shooting for. This, like, this analysis, this level of writing is this is this is a goal like this is something to achieve um and i, I think this analysis this review is yeah, yeah it made me uh, in that way re-remember or just rethink about um what i guess i view as reasons in the first place to review an album um one being um to get other people who have also listened to the album an opportunity to compare and contrast your personal opinions of what you liked and what you didn't like potentially about an album or compare your analysis of what you think artists are saying by words or by, you know, whatever the instrumentation is doing. Um, But the other reason you write a review is to ignite interest in people who haven't listened to the album to listen to the album. And what I realized by reading it is that the second thing happens way less at this point with review writing than the first thing. And I would assume that the second thing is kind of the initial reason why reviews were put out there when music was less accessible. Um, So it was kind of a breath of fresh air to... (laughs) to read a review that did that so well because the thing that really stuck out to me was um the condensing and the restraint um and i think what you were talking about earlier brand with the like small amounts of words and then talking about them um was again to be able to dissect small parts of it and not make the article about like just giving the paragraph that you're going to listen to but also to just like leave a bunch of cliffhangers so you'll be like oh god i wonder what they would say what they're going to say after that in the song. And what was funny to me, I almost wish that I had not listened to the album before I read it, because then it would have been cool to like listen to the album and then go back. But what I did realize because I had listened to the album that weirdly enough, um, which I, I don't know if I can remember a single other review I've ever read that did this, the review itself in the context of it um, felt like the listen, like the, um, the arc of the review felt like the arc of listening to the album in a really weird way. Like they felt like they were going in line with one another. Um, because what I found just as like a first thought after the album finished was how quick it felt going from beginning to end, but how, how much dynamics there were even in how quick the movement was. And that's 
exactly how I felt reading the review because of, they were such of these like small cutting details building off of one another. And then all of a sudden it was over and it was like, oh, wow. It kept me energized the whole time. And I just stayed in that one place. And I was like, God, that's exactly how the album Yeah, I think, I think it's fair yeah. to compare this yep. album review to like a movie trailer. Um, you know, it very much, it very much hits on a lot of the core aspects that get you excited without then, you know, revealing the main plot points that are within the album itself that are the, like the driving force of like what keeps it as a mainstay. Yeah. It, it straddles the line from being like a romantic comedy trailer where they give you all the good jokes in the trailer <laughs> and being a Christopher Nolan trailer where you have no idea what's going on and there are no right. plot points. Yeah. <laughs> movie references um <laughs> yeah and like what like uh, mickey was saying i and like as i was saying earlier it's all about efficiency isn't it like the amount of ideas that fly around during the run the jewels album like to distill those into a handful of paragraphs which is all this review is is amazing so yeah that theme of efficiency showing up again yeah and it's um it's also worth noting that this is the first review that we have bought brought to the podcast um, other than we briefly talked about a Hobo Johnson interview in Pitchfork and why it was a bat or uh, review, sorry, not interview. We recently talked about the Hobo Johnson review in Pitchfork and why it was a bad example of reviews being for like clickbaity purposes, um, which is sort of like why, what we're highlighting in this podcast is the great music journalism that goes beyond clickbait. And I think you so often... Uh, one of you two briefly touched on this earlier, but I think we so often see reviews as a means for like, okay, here's an album that people are going to listen to and people are going to like the album. When they are done listening to this album, they are going to want to click on something about the album to continue their experience with the album, um, which is funny that I actually find that a lot with yeah. films. Like a good film has me leaving the movie theater and trying to Google and find something to read mm -hmm. on it right away, which... I think is a perfect formula for outlets to just put out something with a headline that you're going to click on and you're going to read it and they're going to, they're shooting for one of two reactions. They're shooting for you to just agree with everything they say like, Oh yes, 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 absolutely agree with, I agree with everything. Or they're shooting for you to be angry that you don't feel the same way about the source material yeah. that they do. And I think that like the reason that this, which is what we've all been touching on this whole time, that the reason that this review is so good is because it doesn't do either one of those purposes like when i'm when i'm wa when i watch a movie and i walk out after the movie and i'm trying to find good content on it i'm trying to find someone's analysis on what i missed i'm trying to find someone's analysis on okay like so what what happens after the movie like there's this great twist ending and you know it was really tense and it was so tense that i'm leaving the theater and i'm not like i'm not done with the movie i'm still in yeah. this experience and that, to me, is what this review was. This review was a substantive piece of the experience itself. You know, like, like after having listened to the album and, you know, feeling so energized and being fired up and then the review adding to that experience and then getting me to go back into the album all over again is the best thing that a review can do. And I think it's also crazy how it can work in multiple different ways. Um, like, Ryan, you mentioned having not necessarily been super thrilled with the album uh, and not necessarily super fired up, but then being reinvigorated by this review. So I think it, it's a testament to how well the review can serve that purpose for two people who didn't have the same exact, like same experience with the album or the same energy leaving the theater. 
but it can it still serves yeah, Brandon, the purpose that it wanted watch, to do uh, with this review. I don't know review. if we said this in the, in the uh, podcast or if we said it before, but when you watch Uncut Gems tonight, you're definitely going to want to Google who Ju- Julia Fox is. I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> yeah, we we said that on pod. I mean, I'm excited to watch that, man. I heard Adam Sandler is like really, really good in it, which is great because I feel like Adam Sandler is one of those actors that I absolutely loved when I was younger and then just went through a drought where he like wasn't doing as much shit. But it's like, I still want to see Adam Sandler succeed, damn it. And I, I've heard I think, Uncut Gems is all of that. I just think he's so underrated in dramatic movies. I mean, Uncut Gems is funny too, but I feel like his career, like the movies that I like by him the most are all, all dramatic movies. Pirate movies I've ever seen with him in and are Punch Drunk Love, Uncut Gems, and Spanglish. I think those are- <laughs> In Search of Sauce is now a film podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like a massive sidebar, but the Safety Brothers get really like get the most out of their actors to the point where they don't use a lot of actors in their movies. They use people who are actually in the the jobs that they like they play in the movies, right. and they're just so great at that. And yeah, right. that's all I want to say on that. <laughs> <laughs> I have listened to Quell, Chris, uh, Madani, and Milo just like purely on your recommendation <laughs> and how like good that like that okay that like that milo album uh who told you to think is really good mm-hmm. but i don't think it's an album that necessarily would have like sat with me for a long time without like having read your piece right so, like it's an album i would have listened to and i would have been like damn like this is a really good like a really good album he's a very talented artist um but i don't know if it's something that i would have like came back to repeatedly but like having having read your piece and then like then going and listening to the album um just made the album like so much better which is a testament to Ryan Gower as a great cool, <laughs> as a cool. great writer Gore sorry <laughs> as a as a great writer in the uh, you know in the same context that we were discussing dude the did Ryan I say Gower thing. too when Thank I introed you. you yeah I'm used to it though, so I like... realized as soon as I said it I was like fuck I have no idea how to say his last name correctly <laughs> yeah think of it as like think uh, think of Al Gore and then you're good but yeah thank you Brandon man like I never considered um, writing that piece as for a reader who hadn't read hadn't hadn't heard the album so that's good to know that like that connection could still be made without listening to it which is honestly something i didn't even consider because milo's music as you'll know is very coded and Mm. there's a lot to break down so i figured that it'd be really difficult to read my piece without having heard it but that's very good to know so thank you oh no it's i mean on its own like your piece is strong like strong standing individually um and then it's like like we just said with uh, Run Jewels review, a good a, p- a good piece of content on an album adds to the experience of the album, um, and I think your feature story that you were going to have coming out does exactly that. Thank you. Man. All right. Thank well, you. we'll give Charlie, our cool. editor, full uh, full permission to finish this interview wherever the fuck he feels <laughs> like it. <laughs> um, but I think we're 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 done for now. Thanks everyone for listening in. You can edit that up closer to whenever you decide to end this Charlie. <laughs> yeah i made a uh i wasn't sure if i was going to be able to get my connection back so i made a little sign off myself so i signed off alone over here on the recording so <laughs> i don't know where you might add that in but all right i guess it's a sign off remember to give us a review on apple podcasts and wherever else you can review us um uh, Follow us on Twitter at Central underscore Source, I think. And follow us on Instagram at Central Source. And yeah, uh, peace. Oh, 
and also before we peace, uh, guys, so listeners, um, this, you know, this podcast is directed a lot at journalists and a lot at writers. Um, so, you know, and I feel like a lot of our listeners are writers themselves. So guys, please like send us, like I'm constantly bringing pieces from Rolling Stone, you know, we're constantly touching on DJ booth. Um, but I really want to be able to promote because I know that there are writers out there whose work is not being read as much as it should that is extremely high quality stuff. So please, like, it's just hard to find some of this stuff. So if you're listening and you're a writer or you know of great writers that aren't getting the attention that they deserve, uh, please link us some of that stuff. Like, I want to read it. I, you know, I want to bring some of it to this podcast. We want to give you the flowers that you deserve. Um, and, you know, Rolling Stone, DJ Booth, uh, Pitchfork, Vulture, like, they bring great content all the time, but this is content that it is being read and is getting attention. Um, so, you know, part of this podcast, it would be great if we can bring more attention to some of those lesser known writers. So please send us your stuff, guys. Yep. And I see all the um, mentions on the Central Source Twitter account. So send it to there and I'll 100% see it. So yeah, that's a great point. And so yeah, anyone want to, everyone want to sign off now? <laughs> all right. Want? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. This episode of In Search of Source featured Brandon Hill, Ryan Gore, and Mickey Hellerback of the Central Source Creative Collective. The episode was said to by me, Chai Toe, the Fifth Element Podcast Network. Music for this show is fucked up by Barsty. Thanks to Joel Breakers for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and Fifth Element Podcast Network production. Links for Barsty, Joel Records, Central Source, the Fifth Element, and content covered in the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source. <laughs>